This episode is brought to you by Columbia Sportswear. It's snowing again, and that wind chill is killer. But you're not worried about that because you shop the Omni Heat Infinity Collection. It's warmth perfected with tiny gold dots that reflect your body heat inside and protect you from the cold outside. No snow or chilly temps can stop you now. Go out anyway. Shop the Omni Heat Infinity Collection now at Columbia.com slash infinity. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else. Like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The grade cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a grade cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the grade cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Grey Cricketer Podcast. On today's show, England level a series 2-2 at the Oval, thanks to presumably one of the all-time Manchester circuits. Australia retain the Ashes, but why doesn't it feel good? Matthew Wade scores 100, Steve Smith doesn't, Broad gets Warner out for the seventh time, ha-ha. There's a joint play of the series, and we'll get to the bottom of what a Mitchell Marsh is. Dean Jones joins the show from India to discuss Grey Cricket, being an icon, and designing the modern glove. All before we get into hashtag RCGC, my name is Ian Higgins, and I'm joined joined by Sam Perry in Melbourne and Dave Edwards in Sydney. And, boys, I want to know, um, how, how large do you reckon Australia went after Old Trafford? <laughs> yeah, it would appear they went pretty large. And you've got to kind of qualify that stuff. England has won the match. They've won the cricket match. They deserve to get the number two next to the one that they had previously. Uh, mm. But, yeah, I, I don't know. We're all taking a step back now from this match and looking at the Ashes in the fullness of it all. And I have to say... Ahead of the entire English summer, if you'd sort of told most people that Australia will go to a World Cup semi-final, that they'll come home with the urn after the controversy of Cape Town being terrible at ODI cricket, three blokes coming back into the side after nine to 12 months of cricket, I think most would have bitten hands off for that. And now, which is the greatest thing in Australian cricket, the controversy isn't whether they got the Ashes, but how they got it, mm-hmm. you know, whether they did it well enough. That's where Australian cricket, in my mind, needs to be. It needs to be spoilt. It needs to be nitpicking. It needs <laughs> yeah. to be debating. Bradman <laughs> comparisons. That's where, that's our safe place. You know, it's not enough to get the thing. Now it's all about not doing it well enough. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, well done, Tim Payne. Uh, I... <laughs> I agree. I mean, it's great that we retained them, but yeah, who cares what we thought, you know, 12 months ago or what, you know, what would have been an ideal outcome. I want to feel good now and losing the last test kind of fucked everything a little bit, didn't it? I mean, we were talking big about how we didn't want to just retain the Ashes, you know, after the last test. We wanted to win them outright and now we've drawn the series, but we've retained the urns. So now we well, we need to perform some weird mental gymnastics on how 2-2 is the same as 3-1. Not really. It's just amazing, isn't it? Like we, we like we go through eighteen months of like tumult, proper like darkest hour stuff darkest in Australian hour. cricket. Darkest huge hour. huge clouds 
over Australian cricket. And then as soon as we retain the Ashes, we get exceptionally greedy about the way we won them yep. and the score not reflecting it well enough yep. and, the, and and poor selections in a series that it wasn't dead, it wasn't mathematically dead, but there is no <laughs> way that the match at the over was as alive as it would have been were the urn on the line. Oh, That's yeah. just true. But even so, I still feel greedy and I still feel upset <laughs> that they didn't win by more. Doesn't it feel though like this is kind of like a last day of school and like you've been brought into the headmaster's office and like you just have to break out for summer? I think Australia don't play again now for maybe two months ish. Mm. And it's kind of like now we have a huge we, amount of time. And now we, we've lost the game by 140, 135 runs or some shit. And it's just like, this is, that's all I can think about now. When we go to the Gabba against Pakistan and that first test match, it's going to be like they need to bounce back after what happened at the Oval. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is, And that's why I think that Cricket Australia has done an amazing job with Tim Payne because we're upset and we'll always be upset and we're going to perennially be upset because it's not 1999 anymore. We'll, it's Kicker Guardian. We'll never achieve that height and everything is just going to be a pursuit of that height that he's not able to be yeah. achieved. So uh, well done, well, you know, Kevin Roberts yeah. and Tim Payne. We are upset at you. But it's because it's not good enough that you still did the thing. But yeah, I mean, look, Australia has done just enough, haven't they? I mean, just that's enough. fine. I mean, to, I guess to use a workplace analogy, because that's my sole work purpose on this podcast, apparently. You know, that performance in the fifth test is kind of like in, in sales when you hit your quarterly target and then you just relax because you know you're getting a commission. Australia is a regional sales manager who did just enough. And you could see that by the way that they blew off steam after the fourth test, the drawn series, the retention. That was enough for them. And, and what Australia needed was some sales director to step in and go, no, now we need to hit 120% of your quota and ride them hard all the way to the end of the quarter. You know, fucking log all your opportunities in the sales force. Do your follow-ups. Assistant to the regional manager. Um, all right, I want to know um, how many wrong decisions Australia could make in one test match. I mean, there's, there seems to be some sort Let's of... Let's go focus on the negative. ...literal hangover. Um, I mean, we can, Emotional we can talk exhaustion. about... Emotional exhaustion. Emotional exhaustion. Well, if England had the World Cup stuff after playing one more game in the World Cup, then, then surely we can, have, we can have this as well. Uh, won a toss, decided to have a bowl. I believe that um, in the 130 years of test match cricket played at the Oval, three teams ever have won a toss bold and won um we picked mitch marsh and siddle uh there were drop catches um dropping of travis head there's a lot going on i didn't i didn't like any of it but it kind of like it just even from day one of the toss was kind of like ah uh, this is over then like this is yeah, we don't care uh, about this anymore uh, we just right from the toss like australia just didn't look up for it like it's actually inexplicable really to lose the, to win the toss and bowl first on that wicket in hindsight weird. when we won the toss i just punched the air in jubilation thinking yep fucking 3-1 done and then when we chose to bowl i shouted at the television same television shouted at a different reaction like why 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 would we why are we doing this why why are you doing What'd this you to shout? us Tim Payne? just out of interest yeah what did i shout no i just shouted yeah. no repeatedly <laughs> Um, and the police were called to my house, and I said, "No, no, nothing's nothing's going wrong here, officer." Yeah, I mean, I thought things uh, that you know things were off once Marcus Harris ran up to Tony Chalmers and called him Chompers uh, on mm. Channel Nine. That's, when I saw them do that, I thought they're not going to be ready for the Oval. They've, they are definitely going to put the cue in the rack there. And uh, yeah, I think that in the fullness of time, Payne might come to regret that. Like personally as I was doing the dishes listening to BBC TMS as the toss went up and I 
I thought, I wonder what Payne's going to do if he, if he wins the toss. He won the, win, won the toss, decided to bowl, and I thought, there's, uh, there's like, th- this is good, you know? He's, like, I, I wonder whether it was his kind of Steve Waugh moment a little bit. It was a bit of a, like, let's really put the foot to the throat now mm. and really Fuck decimate these, these guys. Yeah, yeah. It was, I thought it was a little bit like that. Mm. It was like, oh, we've, we've got you now. We've psychologically defeated you. It was a bit of a captain's call. Mm. I think Langer kind of threw him under the bus a little bit at the end of the day. said, oh, yeah, no, we always back Painey, you know, on the, on the toss. Not my call. And, um, <laughs> and what that meant was, like, it meant they'd kind of abandoned their general philosophy to the cricket up until that point, which was like highly percentage based, you know, it was really boring. It was like, yeah, like choke the the boundaries um, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, play percentages. But instead they were just like, yeah, let's, let's just rock and roll these blokes. Mm. Uh, And I'm sure that like, if the urn was on the line, I reckon Stark would have played. I think Head Mm. would have played. Mm. I think Payne would have batted. And I think they would have taken... Uh, a lot of catches instead of dropping the thousands that they did. Probably, yeah, that's, that's probably right. Um, I, um, I have to cut this what out. What do you think he goes? I mean, you're asking all these questions. What, what, what are your thoughts, mate? It's okay. I had a I had a date on Sunday morning. Wait, the story gets better. And uh, you know, she was asking like, "What do you do?" And I was, you know, telling her to do this, and then had to apologise about cricket and stuff. And then she was like, "Oh, I, I, I heard we won the Ashes," and I was like, "Ah, oh, but we didn't win it. You know, we retained." And it's like, "Oh, well, you don't care about this, and no one cares about anything." So, but it's just like, but it's in Sounds me because like my instinct was to correct her straight away. Like, we didn't win the Ashes. Yeah, we just retained them, and I had to explain the hundred and thirty years. Explain of- the Ashes to your Sunday morning date. Exactly. Yeah, and then she was like, "Oh, something about the women's Ashes," and I was like, "Oh, well, you're roughly so." Um, <laughs> mate, uh, uh, it's just, it, I, just, I feel like it's a missed opportunity, you know, like it kept, the captain's call stuff interesting. Yeah, it could be a Steve Waugh mm. thing, fuck these works kind of vibe. It turned out to be a bit NASA Hussein Gabba 03 or whatever that was. Not, not, not quite as bad as that, but it was kind of like, um, I, I think the Mitchell Marsh thing is interesting because no one predicted that he would bowl as well as he did. He was the only person to swing it that much in the whole yeah. game. I mean, Curran swung it a little bit, but like that, that was Poor the reason Siri. why Siddle then became a bit of a, a wasted selection because Mitch Marsh bowled like 17 overs, which he's obviously never done before because he cramped at the end of day one, um, like he was going down by a sniper. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, he took five, he bowled brilliantly, but no one expected him to bowl that well. So that's why Siddle is awesome in the team. So, you know, they, they were almost they were almost done by you know picking a bloke and not expecting him to do very well. <laughs> you know what I mean? But then he did really well, and then now we have did this really situation well. where we need to kind of reconsider our, our feelings towards Mitch Marsh, and he he addressed that in the in the press conference with the most of Australia hate me thing. I mean, what was <laughs> yeah, what was your yeah. thought? Like, because I mean, for me that was like a well, firstly like just a classic cricket bubble situation. Like, I reckon about five yeah. percent of Australia would be remotely familiar with. The name, like, go out to Western <laughs> Sydney and do a street yeah. poll. There's fucking zero point zero five name recognition there, but mm. like, it's apparently okay to support him now, and, and in doing so, you can harangue everyone who's ever spoken negatively about him. You feel that mate, vibe about Mitch Marsh? Yeah, it's it's funny, mate. You know when he came on our podcast? This was maybe uh, how long ago was that? Maybe a year, two years ago. What mm. season was that? I can't remember. It was the, it was the a year and a half. Yeah, year, year and a half. I think George Bailey was in the same. Same episode. Yeah. Great episode. I thought he, like, spoke really well, and he just seemed like a really friendly guy. And the thing is, like, that's... that's Pez, we spoke about this a while ago. Just, like, 
he does seem to be just a really popular guy and he's probably getting ahead in life by like if he was a bit of a dick then he pr- he might not yeah. be around like we all are looking for you know Flint of five now Stokes 19 and you know two matches later he gets his game and we're still looking for him but like I think he's getting yeah. picked because he's a nice guy and I, yeah. I'm, I'm okay with that I, I don't think anyone has a problem with him as a bloke I mean yeah. I'm sure he's the most rippingest bloke that's ever ripped but ripping like, bloke Dave but I think uh, I just think Australians have a problem with him being a bloke based selection like can mm. you make bloke based selections I, I think he might be one <laughs> well, I, I think like I think there's just some strange conflations going on because I think a lot of the people who have criticised the selection of Mitch Marsh and then prior to that Sean Marsh and they had issues with Jeff Marsh being involved. Uh, it's like the Pretty quick to say after Marsh's Marsh's performance that there's a separation between the bloke and the cricketer, and I suppose that's fair. But like in this you know binary. Uh, noisy media environment it very quickly snowballs from like I don't like Mitch Marsh selection as an all-rounder tactically and strategically into like well the Marshes get favoured and it's a whole dynasty it's a conspiracy now we have the Marsh Cup in the domestic one-day comp and then you know all of the um, like wannabe jokesters about cricket um, pile on with Mitch Marsh jokes because that's a really safe joke to make and everyone now looks bad but I, I think the other problem that we have in Australia is like we really struggle to talk about all-rounders because we're so greedy as we've said earlier we're just so gluttonous for success in every level like all-rounders just absolutely cop it like not only did we never produce a flint off 05 well we, we had Shane Watson who like was quite excellent at two disciplines yeah. and he was never accepted by anyone and he carried on of course but he actually if you talk to most players he ended up he ends up becoming one of yeah. the nicest blokes of all time. Um, the guy literally is amazing in two disciplines. Like, do you know how hard it is to be successful in an Australian, uh, like, in, in Australians' expectations at two disciplines? Well, I think at international Pez. level, like, it's fucking impossible, really. Like, I, I don't. I want you to take fifers, mm. but can you please score hundreds quite often too? And if you only <laughs> make nineties, as Shane Watson did, well, that's yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. not good enough. You're underperforming. And so it all just snowballs into um, getting harangued, really, mm. when there's, you know, it needs to be picked apart and separated. <laughs> Mitch Marsh, goodbye. Also, we have no other all-rounders, probably for the reasons that I just said. Yes. <laughs> but what do you really think? Yeah. No, I think you make a good point there about all-rounders being held to a higher scrutiny than, you know, batters or bowlers, because it's kind of a bit like comedies, really. Comedy is a very subjective thing. And, you know, when a new comedy comes out, you go on Twitter, people have opinions on whether it's funny or not. But if a drama comes out, you know, people are more inclined to let that go by the by. You know, people don't have mm. strong feelings about it. So, mm. yes, we all want Flint of 05. We all want that transcendental player. And when we don't get him, we get fucking angry. Um, Matthew Wade scored 117, speaking of angry blokes. Um, he's a guy who seems to really like – he likes the battle, doesn't he? He does like getting in people's faces. He likes the confrontation. He likes the chirp. A lot, a lot, I heard some of the ex-players, um, by that I mean the commentators, um, talking about <laughs> guys who used to like that. Steve Waugh famously didn't mind a bit of chat. Um, Brian Lara apparently really liked to really liked um, the confrontational really? stuff. Yeah, apparently, yeah. And uh, Matthew Wade seems like another guy. Um, he was probably playing for his place, maybe in this test match going into the summer. It is weird because like we're gonna play for another couple of months, and it's in Australia, so who knows what the team's gonna look like? But like, he, he probably has locked himself into number six position in in Australia. Would you say Matt Wade? Batted well. Mm. Yeah, it was good. It was good to see. It would have been, you know, this is the Aussie in me. Nice to have that a little bit earlier. But he he ends up with two tons. Bookends. 
doesn't he? And uh, yeah, we had a thousand notifications saying hundred and losing side, haha. So we've killed, we've destroyed that joke, obviously as well. Um, that's our own. That's, doing. A, that's our Watson review joke. That's our joke. Yeah, true. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was it was good to see because he really has batted quite well for a long time leading into the yeah. Ashes, and he showed a lot of that form here. But no idea what the plans are for the summer. I, I feel like we're going to cover that on a later cast as yeah, well true. but like I feel like it's a good opportunity you know I'll say this like I reckon this summer might be a good opportunity to try and regenerate and, and bring in some young guys if Steve Smith is going to score a thousand mm. runs again which he probably will Dave Warner will probably play and then he'll probably um, thrive as he always does in Australia you can probably build in some young guys around that you know whether Wade's part of that or not not sure he's going he's to have to be held to a pretty high standard just on I the Wade to, to, stuff like and, yeah. you know he's, he kind of started yeah we talked about the chirp there I actually appreciated his efforts to bring that back like it takes a bit of courage to go against what is you know deemed palatable <laughs> these days like the nice guy yeah. persona yeah. you know that would just look forced on Wade he, he is like a classic attack dog he's always been mm-hmm you know an attack dog and it just would it would be like you know how scott morrison framed himself as a daggy dad in the lead up to the mm. federal election it just didn't fucking sit right with me for a number of reasons <laughs> so i just like that wade's being true to himself despite you know this this new yeah nice guy persona of the australian cricket team wade's fucking attack dog i like may i agree with Let that I, I i like that wade is wade's wade's a real trailblazer he's a renegade here because someone is it's going to be everyone the Australian team is going to, you know, go real hard verbally to the opposition. Because I'm the same way that, like, mm. have you noticed how no one in the world is reverse swinging it anymore? Like, since basically since Sandpaper? No, like, I'm pretty sure some Not of the even talking guys about have. It, yeah. mate, no, no one's doing it. And it's because, like, the next person gets caught, you're probably going to have an extended period on the sidelines. There's going to be pressure from, you know, cricket boards and stuff. So, like, but someone's oh, going to do it. Hague. Some, someone's going to do it. Someone's going to, you know, bring out <laughs> some, some, you know, contraband onto the field and it's going to go, hooping around corners like Wazim Akram did you know in the 90s uh, and you know someone's going to sledge on the field it's going to happen so I, I'm all for Matt Wade being the guy mm. being the fall guy being the trailblazer that's, that people aren't going to like in the meantime but you know it's good to see it come back I think yeah. mm. are you suggesting that there's a connection between being a verbal attack dog with like weak comments said like a dog mm. and ball tampering um, I hadn't thought of those parallels when I was thinking mm. Um, but I am happy to stand by those comments that you have suggested. Okay. I apologise. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, so, so Joe, Joe Denley became a dad. I'm not sure if it was his first kid. Do we know? I'm sure someone second, knows. I think. Second, second kid. kid. Second kid. Thank you. Second kid. Went off the field, came back, scored some runs. So, I mean, you guys are both dads. Do, would you, are you better cricketers after come, becoming a dad? Without doubt. Mm. I, I think it's a time-honored, like, uh, truth in sport. Yeah, sport. That when you become a father, everything gets put into perspective and all of a sudden sport shrinks mm. in its importance. You're freed mm. from the mental strain of sport because you have other things yeah. that you need to care about in your life and you end up playing a wonderful sport, whatever it is. And it's you know, good when you've got a sport, couple of kids, you know, bouncing around at training, you know, as they, as they mm. say in sporting environments to, to give everyone a bit of an uplift as well. Because there's more to life than just runs. Well, I guess there are. Um, I'm not. I'm still not certain on that. But you know, Denley was hitting runs. But if you if you think that the equation's dad equals runs, you got to look at Warner. I mean, he's a he's a relatively new dad. He's third. And well, he but he got all of his runs at the World Cup after having a kid. Mm. You know what I mean? And so there are sugar hit dad runs. They're not that these dad yeah. runs don't last. It's a sugar hit. Exactly. Sugar hit dad runs. Sugar, he got sugar hit runs and he got them at the wrong time. Sugar daddy. <laughs> 
You know how like some people seem to really thrive on playing sport angrily. Like Matt Wade might be, I might might come back to the thing of like you know being up and about for the verbal you know confrontation. Wade Warner they like that. But I feel like in sport, if you have like love in your heart and you're just more relaxed, then you actually might succeed more. But other people don't like that, and they like being angry and they play sport. I don't know. I don't know what the point is. Um, uh, ben Stokes. Uh, and Steve Smith were awarded Player of the Series, and my only question is, what <laughs> does does everything this summer need to be a fucking tie? <laughs> <laughs> like, just give me some binary outcomes. I just crave yeah. a clean outcome for once. Just yeah. choose one of them, Player of yeah. Series, not not plural, it's... Player. Yeah. So I mate agree, Pez. I'm not saying. Ben Stokes didn't have a wonderful series. He scored 450 runs or something, took heaps of wickets, bowled really important spells, great in the field, you know, won, won a game single-handedly. Steve Smith had probably the third or fourth greatest ever series in the history of the game. And um, so I thought he deserved outright player of the series. Thoughts? Uh, well, I have to confess to a gap in my knowledge here because I didn't hang around for all of this stuff and so I am absolutely gobsmacked at this mm. uh, To and I, I'm trying to say that like an ESPN moron as much as possible and sure. I, by that I don't mean our um, Crick Info colleagues, I just mean more of an American thing mm. I'm, I'm looking at something <laughs> on the internet here so I, I understand that like England had a player of the series and Australia has a player of the series but there's a Compton Miller medal is that meant to be player of the series as well? Because Steve Smith got that. Either way, it, like on the premise that it's a drawn, it's a tied player of the series. That's that's a joke, and I refer defer to Dave's comment on that. Um, Steve, Steve Smith did um, unbelievable out of this world stuff. Stokes was excellent. We'll never forget Headingley, yeah. but Smith was head and shoulders above that. And like the yeah. cultural impact that Steve Smith had on the series and, and cricket in general and on the English psyche this series, like he he fucking really got inside their heads and he's he's a movement. I mean, Steve Smith is Bradman reincarnate. We know that. And Root admitted himself that Smith was the sole difference. I don't think Steve Smith would care, but these things these things need to mean something, don't they? Like these things, every, things should mean things. <clears throat> I remember, like, back in the day, you used to be given, like, a motorbike if you won, like, player of a tournament or player mm. of a series. I want those days. RAV4. Yeah, like a RAV4. <laughs> I remember, like, a Champions Trophy. It might have been sponsored by Honda, big in India, famously. One of the Indian players picked up a, a Honda motorbike, and they're just, like, riding, riding around the oval on it. it. Might be one of the West Indies players, actually. They won, it. They won the Champions Trophy in, like, 2007 or something. Yeah, I, yeah I, I want that. I want that back, not just a medal. I want, like, tangible assets being handed out on a dais. Mm. Sorry if this is a grim question, but can you remember a more dominant individual in A, an Ashes series, and B, a Test series, no. like, relative to everybody no, else? When never. you consider that essentially nobody else could bat from either side mm. for any consistent period of time. Like even even with um with Cook for example in twenty ten eleven which was utterly dominant and away from home mm. which I think increases the yep. like the glory Definitely. of it he had mates around him that were also successful Trot. which kind of yep. lent itself to the idea that the bowling sucked mm. uh, whereas on this occasion while Australia can't bat like the bowling was bowling was pretty challenging mm. at times I can't remember any other series where someone was no. as dominant but Australia always has a worldy player. But this was this was the next level. This Ashes mm. was fucking four unit maths, 
and Steve Smith dominated it and everyone else did really badly. So he got scaled up to 100 and everyone else got like 30% in the HSC. But he got 100 in four-unit maths. Like yeah. normally you got 30-odd in four-unit maths and it was like, oh, that's 100. Yeah, he got a pure 100. Every question right four-unit maths. Like everybody failed, but you had a daddy fail. Yeah. Uh, and he looked, I never did four-unit maths. Yeah, and he looked weird when he was doing his equations as well. Um, Dave Warner hit 95 runs for the series. Um, probably, probably a couple less than what we thought. Um, I, it's, I think it's really hard because I was just watching like Broad bowl over this series, and fuck me, Stuart Broad has bowled oh, so, so well. Like, I mean, yeah. like I don't know what really Warner's supposed to do. Uh, like, yeah. not get out. Like, you look at some of the balls he's got. Absolutely unplayable, and and then of course because of that, then it becomes like he gets in his head, he hasn't scored any runs, he's looking for shots and stuff that aren't there. So it's probably a couple of times where maybe it's like where well, he could have left that or whatever. But like, oh my god, like around the wicket, just cramping him up, pitching like just outside off, hitting off consistently. Like, what's the guy? What's the guy supposed Mate, to he do? Just, he just got kryptonite. Yeah, I, I kryptonite. genuinely like this is. I don't think he's probably that out of form if you look at his World Cup yep. and the way he destroyed IPL. everyone else in T Twenty cricket. Yep. Yeah, uh, d- during his time away or when. when he came back I'm sure he's going to do well over the summer I think there's meaning in doing well over the summer too like just because it's their lower ish nations doesn't mean doesn't mean that it's not important I just think he had kryptonite coming at him at all costs and times the one that stood out to me was like last night watching it where Broad had both sort of three in a row to him all beating the bat and uh and then he came in again and Warner tucked it off his hip and I, I sort of like looked in disbelief I'm like Where's that been? Where, where's Warner's like get out shot get out been? Shot, yeah. As in your release, get off strike. Release shot. Yeah. I mean, release shot. That's the that's the one. Get out's not the one. Yeah. Um, Broad was just relentless to him, mm. wasn't he? Those angles just looked uh, impossible. I liked how. Um, yeah, maybe it was after that shot down the fine league. Shane Warne was just going. Oh, I feel like Davy's got it in him today. <laughs> just even after like you know five yeah. tests of pure failure against his nemesis. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he's still he's so confident. He's always very upbeat, yeah. Shane. And then he fucking nicked off to broad. Off you go. I, yeah. I think um, I think it was uh, none for seventeen or seventeen for none for those in the non who play at home. And uh, and Warren was on commentary with Nasser Hussain, and uh, Warren was like chirping, and as broad was running into bowl. And he was like, oh, the 400 here, it's on here. You're nervous, aren't you? Nass, you're nervous. And then just his Mark Harris is off stump, just poleaxes him to, you know, Bairstow's head. Just absolutely rocks. Oh, that, <laughs> that wicket was just, I, yeah. <laughs> so I, I turned my television off and then back on again because I needed to watch it. But I was just so <laughs> appalled by that, like the sound of the stump clonking on the ground yeah. as well. Yeah. Oh, God. It was like the ultimate comeback mm. from Hussain without needing to say exactly, anything. Exactly, yeah. Like, his bit, then the next sound was just the clonk, yeah. and the stump will uh, stump cut. Really, mm. speaking of stats, you... oh sorry, mate. I, I, no, you, no, a mate go. sent this to me today. It might not even be true, but I think Steve Smith had more boundaries in the series than Warner had runs. Like, just fucking <sighs> let that sink in. Like, how that, that can't be possible, is it? Oh, well, it's, Steve Smith got what seven hundred ish runs. You'd think about yeah. half of that would be in boundaries, at least. Yeah. But he's a bit of an accum- I don't know. I, I like the stat. I'll, I'll go with it. Go um, with it. That's, that, is a, that is amazing. Um, also, Warner just laughing a lot when he's getting out now. I'm, I'm yeah. on board for that. I'm here for that. I like that. Because in the first yeah. innings, like, he did not hit that ball. That, that, was, that was a failure of technology and umpire and interpretation of technology, in my opinion. There just wasn't out. And he's still, he's still laughing. And the commentators are like, oh, I think if he, if he hadn't hit mm. that, he would have been more upset. Nah, Warner's just laughing when he, get out, when he gets out now. Like, this is the new, this is like the third, 
said, this is Warner 3.0. Basically, he laughs when he gets out now. What does he do now, Warner? Like, does he need to do anything? I mean, he's assured. I think Langer even said he's a lock for... The, or was Ponting that said he's the lock for the summer? So mm. th- I guess he's just going to come back here and plunder runs. Or, or does he need to, you know... I mean, you said, like, does he have anything wrong with his technique or is he just... He just should never play in England ever again. He should never even go to England again. It's a bad mm. country for him. Well, as long as Broad's playing. Um, but maybe they'll just wheel Broad out and Addison probably going around again in four years' time. Right. Needs another kid. Yeah. But, like... Um, Constantly have kids. <laughs> just keep having kids for that sugar hit. Just, a, and you have yeah, just adopt more. them so, like, every month mm. you can, um, yeah, get runs. Mm. Well, I, like, fr- friend of the show, great friend of the show, Ed Cowan, said on a rival podcast this morning... That uh, doesn't matter how many centuries you have. Like, like how mu- how much time does a test century or twenty one test tons buy you? Because he said ninety odd runs in ten digs. You're going to have to kind of reprove yourself. Maybe he does. I mean, people will be watching him closely at whatever state stuff he does leading into the summer. I think, and yeah. there's going to be a clamour for narrative heading into this summer. I think so. The the Warner Willy Wony will will be one of them. Yeah, I, I think even. Uh, he might be saved a little bit by the fact that really no one apart from Rory Burns scored any amount of runs opening the batting. And also, just batting, opening batting in England is very, very hard. Uh, you look at Alistair Cook with his 50,000 test match runs, I say only um, loosely, only averaged something like 48, 40, like high 40s. So like for a guy who averaged and was like one of the all-time greats, you know, he had to open the batting in England a lot. So it is hard. So I, I don't know. I think Warner's a lock anyway. Um, all right, let's get, uh, let's get Dean Jones on the phone, lads, uh, in India and uh, get his take on stuff. And then after that, hashtag ICGC. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep. It's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Go ahead, break it down. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. Okay, boys, have a go at this. 52 tests, 3,631 runs, an average of 46.55, 11 tons, a higher score of 216 and one wicket at test level. 164 ODIs, an average of 44.61, 7 tons, 46.50 is a higher score of 145. 245 first-class matches, an average of 51.85, 55 tons, 88.50s, a higher score of 324, not out. He's one of Victoria's favourite sons, one of Australia's modern-day greats, especially in the short format. He's an inductee to Australian Cricket's Hall of Fame, and, as he recently teased online, proud to be commentating on Season 7 of Pro Kabaddi on Star Sports India. Uh, in all seriousness, though, if you're roughly our age, you'll feel the same way. He was my first cricket hero. He was probably yours. Welcome to the grade cricketer, Dean Jones. <laughs> well, you read the script very well that I sent you. Excellent. <laughs> but, you missed out, but you missed out on the five-wicket haul against Hampshire. But anyway, don't worry about that. That's You've done very well. It is remarkable how many players remind us of the stats that we missed. Um, <laughs> Dean, you were, I uh, still are, probably an exceptional sportsman. I mean, we always start by asking about the relationship to grade cricket. You must have absolutely destroyed some grade cricket attacks back in your day. Um, I have to say that I'm very proud. It's interesting when you actually do an introduction to a cricketer, you talk about how many test matches they've played and runs, wickets, whatever, but 
I honestly prefer to be introduced as a, a World Cup champion, a Nashes champion, and the fact that I've won being part of two teams, Melbourne Cricket Club and Carlton Cricket Club, and we've won five premierships. Um, those premierships are just as important to me as winning a World Cup. I I love playing club cricket. I, I, I saw some young kids when I was captain of Victoria, some young kids playing great cricket, and I thought, I want him. Uh, guys like Brad Hodge, guys like um, Brad Williams, um, guys like Damien Fleming, uh, uh, Ian Harvey, uh, Matthew Innes. The, the guys that I played club cricket against when I was 17, 18, we picked them for Victoria the same year. So, you know, I, I just, I don't really enjoy the, the, the nights in August and early September getting ready for um, a season coming up because these guys bowl on average practice pitches and all that type of stuff. But I love club cricket. A lot of the players today don't even know what club they go to, um, the <laughs> first-class players, but they don't even know. Like, when Michael Clark went and played, mm. remember it was Western Suburbs? That's it. Mm. Yeah. That's I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I had to ask him, does these Mercedes have it in the GPS? Um, <laughs> he said it didn't. <laughs> No, doesn't go west of Auburn, the um the satellite uh, Navpro. Uh, Dana, yeah. your um your your dad was a Carlton legend, and and you started your career there. Um, I was actually reading up on you before this, and you you're quoted as saying your earliest memories of grade cricket actually precede playing grade cricket, and there was a a situation where your dad, playing at the time, had a death threat during a semi final. Um, in an incident where ice was put on the wicket in a match against university in the 60s and you had police outside your classroom. You were a kid at school throughout the day leading into the final. That's, that's absolutely correct. So that's why was there a police... Correct. Firstly, yeah. why, why was there a police presence outside your classroom over this? <laughs> and, and how does that story end? Um, Carlton were on top that year, 1968-69. Carlton were on top that year and they were playing against university uh, in the uh, and they had Paul Sheehan uh, and all them really good players um, playing that time and Carlton Football Club used to have a wonderful relationship with the Carlton Cricket Club, they don't now sadly and um, and and the, the bottom and the bottom and the bottom thing was that what upset the most was that um, Carlton only made 240 runs and, uh, and but they had them they had a half an hour to bowl. This is the first day of the semi-finals, the Saturday-Sunday game in, in uh, late February, early March. And they bowled. Uh, they got two for overnight for not much, but they still had Paul Sheen to come in the bat. Now, the, the very next day, evidently Carlton Football Club had a, a social party that night and they put ice on the pitch on a length. On a length. And, uh, well, of course, Australia, uh, Carlton had a guy called Barry Knight, ex-England test player. Mm. Oh, yeah. And 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 um, and he 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 put uh, the, the the fact that he bowled it into a, a beautiful area and um, and more importantly got six or seven wickets and bowled University out and Carlton went in, went on the following week to play the Premiership and they end up winning the Premiership. Now interestingly, that particular is a record because they had a guy called Adrian Gallagher who was a footballer for Carlton. He was a rover to the great John Nichols. And they won the premiership that year, Carlton, in football. And Adrian Gallagher opened the batting for Carlton and in the district first level and won the premiership. So I don't think there was ever a player playing football, winning the premiership in first 11 and, and the first 18 for the same club to win a premiership in the same year. 
Dean, uh, you, you were obviously a mercurial talent growing up. I wonder, like, I mean, how long did you have to wait to, to get into first grade? I'm, I'm thinking probably 14, 15, something like that, uh, when you first got yep. your crack into 11. the first grade side. 11, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I played under, I played one year for a club called Ashwood, and I think I scored over 2,500 runs that year. Mm. And then I went to Carlton, other father and son. We had territorial rights back then. And even though I lived in Mount Waverley, which is... 35 minutes by train to Flinders Street and then you had to catch a tram to Carlton. Mm. So um, I got under the father and son rule and that's how I went to Carlton. So I played a lot of second and third 11 cricket play. I think I played my first game at 14-15 for Carlton first 11, which was ridiculous. <laughs> I <should have> waited <laughs> until ridiculous. I was using a Harrow-sized bat, for God's sake, dog. I haven't gone through puberty. I was facing test bowlers. It's not a euphemism. I should never have played. Yeah. I was uh, just a little, little runt of a kid. I should never have played. What, what, what are your memories of that, Dino, using a Harrow-sized bat at age 14, 15 in a first-grade tra- change room? I mean, we, we talk about you know the on-field experience, but also the off-field experience. I mean, how do you handle mm-hmm. yourself in the change rooms uh, as a 14, 15-year-old for Carlton's first-grade side? Boys, as you know... It's about what you do in the nets on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. And I was facing guys like um, Ian Callan, and um, he played for Australia. He was very fast. He was fast back then. He was fast for a 14-year-old. Um, and guys like Rod Lawrence and these type of guys. And Stacky, my coach, who Keith Stackball was vice captain of Australia, he was telling them to pin me in the back of the net. Um, Jesus Christ me in the back of the net. Um, and that's what was... Tuesday, and if you survived, you get a game. That's basically what was done back then. You imagine doing that today in club cricket. So, you you actually played in four decades of grade cricket. I mean, you started back then with the Harrow bat in the seventies, um, and then you you were also playing in the early two thousands. I think you might have played a couple of games with Melbourne. I mean, that's a forty yep. year period. Has grade cricket changed at all? Like, did you see any change, or, or, or are just men the same from nineteen seventies to present? So we haven't changed at all. <laughs> it, it's it's a real good question. It's probably not for me. I haven't watched a great great game for about fifteen years. I wouldn't know now, but. Um, but, but when you came back in 2002, I, yeah. Yeah, um, and I think I played five, four, four games because I think Melbourne um, didn't want to give their captaincy to any kid from the seconds because we lost a couple. I think I was playing. We lost three or four players for Victoria. There was an under Australian under-19s. We lost three players there or something, and two guys had to go to a wedding. Um, and I think it was down to one player from the previous game it was available to play the next week. So they asked me to come out every time and basically captain the second 11 who come into the first 11 uh, for the next three games, which we won every game, I have to say. Um, but I, when I first started, it was it was gang war. Like Stacky, John Skulls, these guys, it was death. If you don't win, right. it was going to be the worst training sessions you've ever seen <laughs> on the training track. <laughs> Running around Princess Park, 38 degree heat with your pads on, which is about five <laughs> kilometres after you've done a full session training, is ridiculous. And we, you know, we were having four or five hour training sessions, and Stacky would not let you have a drink of water because you find that because you're weak. <laughs> yeah. Like all this Tom Hakey type stuff that was brought back on there, and 
and it was about toughness and the sledging wars that were going on back there. It was mm. like, oh, you know, whatever I copped in test cricket was nothing compared to what I copped in great cricket. Mm. <laughs> nothing. It's you a, know, it's... And even just recently, two years ago, for Romsey fifth eleven um, that I played to help them out with, just I wanted to write an article for the Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. I've never heard so much abuse in one game, in a country game, than I've ever heard in a club match for Carlton or Melbourne or a Test cricket. It was ridiculous the amount of sledging that was going on. Mm. Did, you get, any, did you get any runs that day? <laughs> the funniest thing was, the great effort that I did do was there was a chance for a run out where the bowler, I was at mid on, the bowler dived across, and he, let me say, he's probably twice the size of Mike Gadding, if you understand the size of him. Um, he missed it when he fell down. He tried to get back up, and I realised I had to throw the ball to keep the keepers in, and I threw the ball, and I hit the bowler in the middle of the back, um, and he went down as if it was in a, in a U.S. War, war movie and um, and the rest was history. That was the only thing I remember of the game, really. I actually <laughs> threw the ball and hit the guy in the middle of the back and got harpooned. I think uh, I saw that uh, clip on Cricket Memes back. and Sledges. Um, Dino, oh, it's an interesting um, link to today's uh, team, uh, you know, where there's been a few reviews. We have a little bit of a uh, softer or more diplomatic edge about the way we play cricket, at least at the top level. I mean, what do you make about that? Do you think the team loses anything in terms of hardness or toughness by perhaps not embodying some of that, uh, some of those behaviours that perhaps you grew up with? Um, it's a real good question. I'll tell you one thing I, I, I used to hate, uh, particularly when I was sort of, sort of king of the world there for a little bit from the late 80s, early 90s. I went into a, by chance, I walked past a level two coaching uh, seminar that was going on. And these guys, they were showing clips of me batting and Mm. these batting uh, by mechanists and all these whatever, these these batting gurus were saying, oh, Dean Jones' head falls over, his right foot, his left foot goes towards cover, his bat plane is poor. Oh, yeah, and someone says, oh, I didn't like his back foot movement on that short ball there. And they just, basically, I hated it. And I walked into the dressing room, and I didn't say anything, and I put up on the wall, you know, I'm averaging 48.34, and, and ODIs, I'm averaging 47, and walked straight out and said, what would you guys know? So I, 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 I think the players, because of television now, the players that say get their techniques and whether it be physical or mental get pulled apart i i would hate it today i, I really would i'm a bit sensitive on on how i looked out the middle you know um but it's it's um they, they get breastfed these guys like we went to pakistan in 88 you know and see alcott or something we slept in the hammock that was our room accommodation for five days um and it was in a biscuit factory. That was the only accommodation. I haven't eaten sweet biscuits since, I tell you. The smell of that joint was amazing. But, but, it, but, but you know, I, I travelled next to David Boone to, in 89 to, to the Ashes, and there he was having 52 cans and, and smoked about four cartons of cigarettes on the plane on the way over. Like, it's, things have changed big time now, and the, and the players' um, attitudes have changed, and they make good money. So good luck to them. Can't even vape on planes these days. Dino, we, as you mentioned, um, well, we're, so the three of us, we're all children of the 90s, you know. So you are a critical 
part of our earliest memories of cricket and yep. you know i remember your i remember the day i secured your autograph it was one of the greatest moments of my life mm. um you, you said you're king of the world days earlier i mean do you realize you know how iconic you are now looking back um do, do people ever come up to you and go oh, you know I, I grew up with your poster on my wall and you know you, you kind of brought in the speed dealers you were kind of at the forefront mm. of you know the, the, the movement of you know mm one day cricket in the in the 90s and just being a glamour sport how do you feel about all that mate <laughs> i feel sorry for your childhood that it's always your greatest <laughs> greatest thing that's ever happened to you <laughs> may have taken some poetic i advice. really do feel sorry for you really <laughs> <do>. <laughs> oh look um you know it's funny I, as a kid i never wanted to play for australia i i, I love the carlton football oh, club uh, I, I didn't know. I, I just you know I played well for Carlton, and all of a sudden I got a few runs, and then I went on, and and I you know and things become good. And and I must admit that I remember only about a couple of years ago I was travelling from I don't know Melbourne to Brisbane or something in a plane, and the hostie come up to me and she said uh, I used to idolise you when I was a kid. I looked at her and I said you must be fifty five. I'm only fifty seven. You can't be that bloody young. Young, but uh, oh look. I just love the game. I didn't go out there to try to win hearts or fans or anything. I tried to be entertaining. I tried to change the game a little bit in ODIs, uh, the way it should be played. Um, I must admit, if I had a chance, I'd change. I'd swap 100 ODIs to play one more test, mainly the Eagle Merv. Um, <laughs> but um, it's it, it, was, it was a fantastic time, a great career. We didn't earn the bucks that we did back then, uh, unfortunately, what they earned today. But... There wasn't any phones and social media and all that rubbish that goes along with it. It's, uh, I think it was easier to play cricket back then than what it is today. Dino, uh, speaking of the cricket today, we've just been talking about the Ashes and the kind of fallout after Australia went down at the Oval. The, the 2-2 result with the retention of the urn, does the, does the final loss detract from anything at all or is are we pretty happy with what's happened? Oh, we won the Ashes because we hit more boundaries um, than they did. So, to all the, we, that's it. That's how that's how they got the World Cup to win it, England. So, we should get the same report as well. But I oh, look, it was fantastic to bring back. Even I'm in India as we currently uh, going with this podcast, and um, even the Indians are starting to talk how good was the Ashes series. You know, they watched it over here, and um, they're trying to get Test cricket sexy again. You know, hopefully. World Test Championship, I think it needs to be done. Should have been done ages ago. That we need to have a uh, a Test Championship. Look, well, I think we've got to let India win it, um, and then all the Indians and all the fans will start to support it again, and and um, and then we're away. Because ODI cricket wasn't really big, was it, boys? And until '83, when India won the World Cup, and then all of a sudden money started to pile in, and same goes for the Test Championship. We just got to let India win the first Test Championship, and we're good to go. But um, look, we, we, what do you think, boys? We we got some massive holes, haven't we? Still, a lot of questions have been more questions have been asked at the end of this Test series than what it was at the start. Would you say? Oh, well, yes. I mean, well, that's why we brought you on the podcast to hopefully help with that. But um, in terms of like, <laughs> you know, at the start of the um, the series, I think you were kind of one of the the people that said we might have a chance of winning the Ashes. So not many people were, were thinking of that going in. So how do you, I mean, how do you rank the performance? Steve Smith's obviously had a worldie. Uh, Labuschagne's done all right, but the batting is pretty pretty thin otherwise, isn't it? 
Yeah, and and now why is the batting thin? I think the batting thin pretty well all around the world, not just with Australia. Like the, the, their batting wasn't that great either, to be honest. England and and let's be really honest, it was a bit like you know AFL parlance third versus fourth, the <laughs> way the, the standard of Test cricket. I thought um, our bowling was exceptional. Um, because of Smith's heroic performance by him, um, is is taken a bit of away from how well that Cummins and our bowlers bowled, I thought. Um, can I ask you one question, boys? Do you actually enjoy watching Steve Smith bat? No, oh, absolutely. I really very, very much do, and I say it earnestly without any qualification. Deeply. Why is that? <laughs> well, you're aware that it's greatness. It's also fascinating to watch someone whose technique upsets so many people succeed and for those people to say, well, there must be a problem with it, instead of thinking, well, that maybe there's a problem with me. Maybe I don't understand batting. Mm. Yeah. So very, very well put. Mm. Very well mm. put. And I, I've got some um, wonderful tapes that hasn't been seen by too many people of, of Don Bradman batting, and the similarities are amazing. Um, they both play what I call flamingo cricket. In other words, they batted on one leg. Um, um, both had okay. split grips. Mm. Both had split grips. In other words, their hands were apart. Um, mm. And we don't teach that. Um, two wide stance. Don't teach that. Um, and the fact that they hit a lot. They hit a lot of balls square. And Bradman hardly hit any ball through mid off. Same with um, with uh, Steve Smith as well. So there's. And yet we don't coach this. Um, the guys with, with split grips, for example, I, I, I love the batting technical side of it. I, I just love it. And you, you've got split grips. So David Warner's using a split grip ineffectively at the moment, but he, he has one all his career. Joe Root's got one. Kane Williamson's got one. Brad Cole has got split grips. And yet we, we, uh, we coach kids to have their hands together um, when they grip the bat. So, you know, there's, there's that. Um, the fact that the game is starting to almost do a full 360 or 180, sorry, in regards to the best players in the world are backfoot players. And when I was a kid in the 80s and 90s, we taught everyone, when in doubt, get forward. And really, you should be telling kids, when in doubt, get back. So uh, these things, this, he, he, Smith's technique it questions everyone, I think. All the batting coaches and fathers and mums and dads who love going in the backyard and trying to emulate Steve Smith and how copy him as a as a batsman so it'll be interesting in the next three four five years what style of cricket as a batsman we might get through coming through the underage groups because mm. he certainly is different i don't really enjoy watching him play because it's it's different and it's a bit ugly in the way he gets his runs but he gets them nevertheless um but mm. I, I like to see him bat against the four west indian fast bowlers <laughs> yeah how he would have played them without a helmet and, and shit gloves wearing shit gloves and and all that type of stuff so <laughs> that would have been interesting. Dino, um, so your you double ton in Madras, let's quickly touch on that. I mean, that's held up as a great moment. It's taking Australia. you a half an hour to get to this? What's going on? Huh? <laughs> well, you sent the brief over five minutes before we went on, so we just got to it. Um, anyway, just in light of that, I'm not sure if you saw the Hit for Six report on climate change that came out last week. Um, it examines how you know it's drying our cricket grounds, making players more vulnerable to heat stress and so on, and how governing bodies need to do more to address the problem. How concerned are you about the threat that climate change poses to the legacy of your Madras double ton, uh, given that in the future most test innings will be in 40-plus degree temps anyway? 
<laughs> Jeez, I, I sound like I'm on four corners on the ABC. Um, <laughs> that question. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed the women, the girls struggled in the West Indies. Like, you know, welcome to big-time professional cricket. You've got to play in, in the heat, girls. That's part and parcel if you're going to earn the bucks. Um, you know, it's... Uh, and in the IPL, um, you know, particularly places like Delhi or Ahmedabad or whatever, it's 45, 46 degrees the guys are playing in. So... It's How many funny, we go off with the light. I wouldn't know. I couldn't tell you. Right. I couldn't tell you. I, honestly, I, I said it before, and I, I don't really remember much. And plus, plus the fact it was 33 years ago. So <laughs> um, I don't really remember too much about it, uh, to be fair. But um, all in all, I, I, I think it's a, 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 we go off the ground with slight rain, and yet we stay on when it's 45 degree heat. I, mm. I think it's got to come to a stage where there are. I think this should be modelled where is in great cricket when it's over forty degrees. You don't, you guys don't play. Is that it yeah, or not? That's right. Yeah, I think it's yeah. forty-two, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Coming up with all sorts 32, of reasons. Thirty-two. Well, you, you wouldn't get a game in Perth, would you? <laughs> forty-two. <laughs> forty-two. Forty-two. Not that. Oh, forty-two. You still wouldn't get a game in Perth, would you? No? <laughs> <laughs> well, you yeah, I've always said the great cricketers are soft. So, you know, the big the professional boys have to play playing the hot stuff. You've got dressing rooms and professional stuff. Yeah. Uh, Dan, just just to finish off, and it's good that we talked about Glove just there, I'll just have a comment to finish. Um, in 1993, during an ODI against New Zealand at the SCG, uh, you peered over the balcony at the innings break, fresh from restricting New Zealand to a score in the low 200s. Uh, many children were baying for your autograph. You walked to the balcony's edge, and at the back of the squawking flock of children demanding your signature, you spotted a plump little eight-year-old with a shock of blonde hair that he no longer has. Mm. You looked at him, you tossed him a pair of signed kookaburra gloves over the top of these kids, and uh, he caught them. You mouthed, they're yours. Gloves in hand, the little boy ran back for his life to his seat, overjoyed, but worried his favourite player was going to go out and face Chris Cairns and Gavin Larson without gloves. Turns out you had other pairs. (laughs) To this day, it's comfortably the best cricketing gear this young boy, now in a man's body, has ever had. And even though you criticised an article I wrote a few years ago online, I just wanted to thank you uh, for those gloves. I wore them in the under-10s, they went up to my elbows, and then gave them to one of my friends for his 18th, which was a terrible, impulsive decision I regret. Um, at the end of most interviews, we ask the guests, can I have some gloves? But today we will not because you gave them to me 26 years ago. Dean, thank you. Oh, look, it's a pleasure. We don't see the guys give gloves to the guys to the kids now. I don't see that happening too much with broken bats or whatever. But it's, I've always enjoyed the kids that have been part of the way. It's, I remember when I was a boy, uh, at the age of 10, we had the Carlton Football Club in, we were lucky enough to my house with Dad. It was, as you said earlier, it was captain coach of Carlton cricket team and they both got on very, very well. And there was a guy, number 28, you mightn't remember him, or you should anyway, if you're a Carlton follower. His name is Peter Percy Jones. Um, was in our house having a, a, a beverage and I walked up to him and he was the only player, Carlton Football, of 1 to 45 that I hadn't got. And I looked at him and he, I said, um, Mr. Jones, would you be kind enough in my house? Can you sign my autograph? He said, piss off, kid. I'm here for a drink. <laughs> and from that on, from that moment on, I always try to sign as many kids' autographs and give away as much stuff as I can because I felt absolutely devastated. But mind you, I was pretty happy five, two minutes later when I told my mum that he rejected the uh, the autograph. My mum, who was only four foot ten, walked up to this guy who's six foot seven and slapped him right in the face. And I thought, yes, Mum, God love you. So she was my hero after that. So I'm, I'm glad the, I'm glad the gloves work well with you. 
So Dean, can she... I just say with, with the gloves? With, with the gloves, I I designed the the how gloves are pretty well made today. Um, it was my idea with Kookaburra to put the the, um, the sweatbands on them. Uh, it was my idea to put all the plastics and all the different components pretty much the way it's done. And and unfortunately, I didn't patent it. And if I patented it the way they are now, Jesus Christ, I wouldn't be speaking on your podcast. I wouldn't have to. So there you go. <laughs> well, Dean, on that note, thank you for your contribution to our childhoods and uh, thank you for uh, your contribution to Gloves. Uh, it's been wonderful chatting with you. May the great cricketer keep on doing what they do most and have lots of fun, boys. Cheers. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Well, for the last few weeks, we've been speaking about Budgie Smuggler, our great friends at Budgie Smuggler, in terms of some of the advantages that Budgie Smuggler or a Budgie Smuggler will provide you by locking you in. (laughs) And we're not talking about locked-in contracts that we've talked about before. We're talking about, you know, and we're not talking about locked-in syndrome. Not yet. uh, Which we've we've, uh, talked about before. We're just talking about just generally being locked in, feeling like you're you're a tight package. I guess what I want to throw to you guys is are there any other angles? <laughs> it's been a long summer. Um, I think my main takeaway is that we obviously saw uh, photos. Actually, it was, it was of that um, dismissal that I was alluding to earlier in segment one about Warner um, nicking off when he didn't hit it, and there's close-up footage, and like you could see that Warner's smuggling now as well. And it just strikes to me that like budgie smugglers just going right around the dressing rooms here, England, England and Australian dressing rooms, and I guess they're. I don't know, a budgie handing out the free stuff to the players. I feel like they're all they're actually all going online to budgiesmuggle.com. Yeah, and are they and using the great cricketer code and going Well, I hope so. Just to I get hope the, so. Cuz central so. contracts haven't been handed out yet for next season. Not yet. So That's a good point. Careful on the hip pocket. You can save mm. a little bit of money you should and uh, mm. you can do that. Mm. Well, I'd imagine, I, like- I mean if if the players are buying them then then everybody should, right? Uh, that's what I'm trying to well, say. They're yeah, the real like, tastemakers, aren't they? The ambassadors. It's a top-down flow approach. Um, mm. Trickle down economics. Trickle down budgies. <laughs> We've just had a um, a DM from Dean Jones. We'll just share online. Oh, I won't share what it says, but it's exceptionally funny. Um, post our interview, it was a great interview, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Do you reckon Dean Jones could go into budgies? Like I see, I see Dean Jones in the Greek Islands. With like a like a Greg Chapel hat and some budgies on a sunbed yeah. in, in one of the Greek islands, just having a you know an aperol spritz. Dean yeah. Jones is one of those guys that like, although he's you know significantly older than he was when I watched him, even if I saw him today, I'd still just imagine the young Dino because he was he's got so great salad. athletic. Yeah, still got great salad. He's got a bit of a Steve War squint as well, doesn't he? A little he's bit. Kinda, yeah. They, did people just squint that way back then? I, don't, I feel like the, the the speed dealer Oakleys back then didn't have like the good stuff like the Ray Bans do these days. Like the um, what, what's the, the word polar, polar the, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah, yeah. The polar. And also, people exactly, didn't yeah. have sort of three step skin regimes as well. They didn't. Back it was just then, kind of no. sunscreen. Any of that, any of that moisturising stuff was sort of cuck behaviour, I think, and you would mm. be admonished from any team. Mm. 
Is this still an ad? Budgiesmuggler.com.au Lads, we're obviously coming right to the end of the northern summer. I noticed that uh, the, the club cricket scene finished maybe a week or two ago uh, for, 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 most, um, for most people over there in the UK. And obviously the um, pre-season trainees have started here in Australia. And a friend of mine actually played in a trial game on the weekend and he scored 70. And um, I thought that I could have scored fucking 850 and I would have preferred to have been doing not that. So, you know, good luck to him. But what I'm saying is is it's been a long summer and uh, we're just going to do one more podcast um, which is going to come out on Friday morning, Thursday night, Australia time um, to, to wrap up the entire summer as a whole. Well, obviously, we're, we need to take a little break. It's been, uh, it's been an enormous summer. Um, I now know how the English cricket team feels, uh, you know, World Cup into an Ashes. So we'll do one more this week to, to wrap everything up, talk about the players uh, on both sides of the spectrum, of the Ashes spectrum, and, uh, and see who's going to New Zealand for England and uh, who's going to be batting and bowling for Australia uh, against Pakistan and New Zealand in the Australian summer as well. So that's, uh, that's going to come out. Uh, what else is there to talk about, Pez? Um, you know, if you want to hire us for your pre-season or your, your, your season ventures, your season gigs, greatcricketer.club. You can contact us uh, to, do your, to do your corpy stuff. Uh, what else is there? What else is there? What else do we do? Uh, that's probably about it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's get into hashtag ICGC. Uh, Will writes in and he says, so I've recently had the misfortune of what I believe is being blackmailed into the role of treasurer and a seat on the committee at my local community club. I believe this is because I'm studying a business course at university. I'm relatively computer literate compared to the other old bastards that make up the committee uh, and that they tried my father, who happens to be an accountant, so they thought they might as well get the accountant's son. Now, my problem is not how I'm going to inevitably end up mismanaging the limited funds of the community club. It is how I'm going to maintain the respect of teammates while I try to get them to pay their subs for the year. Alternatively, I may just fake my own death and move to rural Peru to become a llama farmer in an effort to avoid responsibility as well as maintain what little dignity I have left with my flock of llamas. Thanks in advance, Will. Yes. So the question is, how, does he how get money am I out going to mates? maintain respect? Mm. Uh, I guess the premise there is like, is any treasurer at a community cricket club respected? <laughs> no, no. What do you guys think about that? They're, they're, they're to be suspi- uh, suspicious of. Openly mocked, mostly. yeah, at all costs and all times. Because I, I see it going both ways. Like, I understand that there's a kind of bespectacled official treasurer who does it to perhaps gain a modicum of power that they can't otherwise capture socially. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm. I, I'll, I'll have power over the coffers mm. if I can't have power over conversation <laughs> or any kind of selection. Coffers. Right? Uh, yeah, the coffers. <laughs> But there's also the other treasurer that is engaged in the kind of low-level mafioso behaviour that many great cricket clubs are, mm-hmm. you know, who all of a sudden lures a like a rival player or a high-level player to the club in suspicious circumstances. Uh, and you don't want to fuck with that guy or, or woman, to mm. say. And I'm just saying to Will, perhaps if you're a respectable accountant, as your father was, and perhaps his father was, then... Um, <laughs> then maybe look for a, an image change, you know? Maybe try and, if you can get somebody over the line with some kind of a clandestine, opaque deal, maybe people will start looking at you a little bit differently. Respect is what you're after, mm. and maybe that's how you get respect. He needs a standover, man. Someone that, I mean, that's what, that's what 
mafia men do. They they hide behind the you know the the heavies. So he needs like someone who's who's like the biggest yeah. unit at the club to basically ask for the fees um, through fear of physical altercation. That's I think right. he should just fake his own death and move to rural Peru. <laughs> um, become a llama farmer, as he says. I think yeah. that's, a, that's a strong move in this economy. It was a weird thing that he's... Like, he's obviously thought about that because it was a very specific thing that he mentioned. He was like, should I move to Peru, though? Okay, well, that yep. wasn't on the cards until just then. So, yes, that's what you want to do. That's what you should do. He's obviously just come back from Machu Picchu. Obviously. Matt Edstein writes in. He says, <laughs> Dear TGC... This isn't really a question, but I just thought I had to share. My wife and I were fortunate enough to be seated right in front of the Australia change room on day four at the Oval. A couple of overs before tea, Steve Waugh came out and stood at the top of the stairs like the Pope coming out to stand on his balcony, see attached, he sent us a picture of Steve Waugh on the balcony. An over later, Tim Payne swept in the air and a large amount of the crowd went up as they thought he'd been caught in the deep by Wokes. Most then eventually realised that the ball had bounced before it had reached him. Once everyone sat down, Steve spoke. Somehow he managed to snarl at the side of his mouth while speaking loud enough for everyone within ten rows to hear him. Down you get, guys, he growled. You've got to catch them on the full account. I burst out laughing and Steve and I then made eye contact. I've been to watch Australia play eight different times this summer, but that was undoubtedly my highlight. Thoughts? It's <laughs> great. That's the great Steve War experience in person. Like yeah. You can't buy that that experience it's like when you go to a gig and you hear your favorite band play that song that you love mm. you know steve was just wonderful exactly what you hear you want you were there for just live pitch perfect you were mm. meters away mm. i envy you it's a great photo as well like he's like underneath the balcony like he's really really close he, 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 it's 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 really good uh, more steve war stuff for mine it's just really good that kind of stuff because it's just like he's just painting a picture of what we all want to see like it, it's it's satisfying it's like how wade we all knew that wade wanted the chat and then we when we saw the chat we're like yeah i, I like that i like being able to fit people into the boxes that i have characterized yeah. in yeah i i just like to go a bit against the grain here and say i'm a little bit disappointed about that chat if you don't attach the name steve water that and someone says down you get guys you've got to catch them on the full account before you're about to lose a match by a bit nothing is runs that's some but, really nuffy stuff, and you hear some horrific stories about things Steve Waugh has said. <laughs> let's face it, it makes us feel kind of good and informs our entire spirit, which none of us will discuss publicly. Uh, no Australian will discuss publicly that hostility actually works. Mm. Um, so you know, that's just a fact. It's not something I necessarily advocate for either way. Um, that Steve was saying this kind of stuff. Maybe the culture of you is working because that's mm. some nuffy shit as mm. far as I'm concerned. It's more labrushing than war, But it's it? the delivery of it. Like, if you break down any great song and you actually read the lyrics, you know, mm. without the context of the music, sometimes <laughs> it just is a bit shit. You know, some of the great songwriters, you know, they can be stripped bare if it's just the lyrics. It kind of looks a bit rubbish. So mm. I, I'm going to give Steve the benefit of the doubt there because I'm sure in person this was a moment for you, Matt. But, um, yeah, if you nakedly look at what he said there, it is pretty fucking cuck. Um, this one's from James Bombacci. Hey, lads, love the show. I haven't played cricket in 10 years and work in a corporate environment, but I still imagine kicking away a delivery pitching outside leg when closing the work microwave with my knee. In brackets, I obviously use the lower microwave. I also have walked past the bin and thrown my rubbish into it like a keeper, throwing the ball to second slip. Have I got a problem or am I just finding an outlet for some of the on-field activities without having to play the fucking game? 
you know, like when you see Steve Smith bat and like all the twitches and eccentricities and, and all that, just like there's something about thinking about like fielding at second slip, for instance, and throwing the ball perfectly seam up to like mid off. And that just like, it makes you feel whole. And that's just like completely just like OCD. There's just like something in the movement. And like, as a former wicketkeeper, I can, I can feel the catching the ball on the inside left hip. And then just like, without looking kind of like elegantly in one motion, like flicking it to second slip, that, that feels good. It, it makes me feel good to do that. And like the, with, with the knee stuff, I always thought that like dismissing a ball that was pitched outside, like let's say it's a, it's a left arm, uh, finger spinner bowling over the wicket and it's just outside leg and you just kick it away. That to me is like the epitome of professional. And like, I never got to do that because, you know, you're obviously playing times stuff effectively, even like in two day cricket, it's still essentially a one day game, just split over two weekends. Right. So it's still like, you, you never have the, you know, the disdain for a bowler to do that, just to kick it away. But I would like to have tried that. I did used to yeah, I mean, train the nets, you, but you just would catch it just with, you put your your glove out and just catch a ball that's down yeah. leg of training. I wouldn't kick it. I'd just <laughs> yeah. catch it and like yeah. throw it back. Usually out of, you know, with like the bowler would have to run and go get it to complete the <laughs> ultimate humiliation. So Put in the oven that's there. how yeah. I used to do with that kind of stuff. I remember, tr- remember trying to do it as like a 13 year old, uh, on an AstroTurf pitch and just stuck my leg out and it hit me in the chest. I <laughs> 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 had to try it though. <laughs> I think in the in the workplace though this this kind of thing does keep you sharp and I think it mm. I think you probably yes. gets a little dopamine high each time you execute that's what I mean yeah. skill yeah. which is good for yeah. productivity oh, you know, but don't get me wrong James um, Bombachi you definitely have a problem but it's all good you need to do it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. just turn the light switch on and off 36 times and you'll be, you'll be fine Leo writes in for the last hashtag ICGC this episode and he says alright lads as an Englishman this summer has turned me, a previously casual cricket fan, into a hopelessly obsessed devotee of the game. Somebody who now takes enormous interest in hitherto pointless things such as wisdom scorecards from 2004 to the inner workings of Johnny Bairstow's mind and everything in between. The last six weeks of intense battle between England and Australia has awakened my senses to what is indisputably the greatest game on earth, to the extent that Sunday's defeat at Old Trafford felt like a secondary, albeit still painful, side effect of a summer, which has provided me with a new passion. It was obviously an old RCGC, but it's still good. For someone re-entering the game, the most captivating aspect of this summer has been Steve Smith, your former captain and current dairy milk enthusiast, having not properly watched this guy bat before, and still firmly in getting behind the boys mode following the World Cup. His performance at Edgebaston filled me with the raw, bristling, truly English hatred, the kind of hatred so pure that you could bottle it up and sell it in car parks. Having seen so many Australian batsmen look lost against the Dukes ball over the years, here was a guy who made it seem as if he, uh, as if he, as if the heat of death of earth would arrive before <laughs> he lost his wicket. I hated him. I hated his little smudge face, his tics, the manic but controlled contortions of his body around the ball, that fucking walk to square leg after every delivery, the right foot getting all the way over there, the endless mumblings to himself, the sheer mathematical nature of every leave. I hated it so much. But somehow along the way, I've come to truly admire this bizarre and brilliant batting nymph. Test cricket is a game of countless incalculable variables. But Smith's technique is contained, fully mastered, like a complex line of code that only Smith himself can even make the slightest sense of. His game has somehow gone over and above all previous learned physical knowledge about the art of batting. I decided to call this phenomenon Steve Smith's Stockholm Syndrome. At first, I felt like a pained hostage to his batting. Now I am simply 
in its thrall. Whenever he now bats, I felt duty-bound to watch every ball, much like how a naturalist feels compelled to watch animals breed all day for research purposes. My question is this. Do you guys believe that this condition is symptomatic of an embedded English baser cuck who is now using Smith to explain why his team lost the Ashes whilst ignoring the many faults of the England team, or is it merely a natural reaction to a supremely talented sportsman at the peak of his powers? Thoughts? Leo. Dave? Uh, oh, well, I think I respect Leo for overcoming just crude nationalism and being able to appreciate Steve Smith for the... He is a sensory experience, Steve Smith, and that's the way that you have to appreciate him. And, he, yep, he's dismantling your team, but he's just doing it in this enchanting, nymph-like way, as you say, that there's nothing you can really do but stand back and appreciate it as the science and mathematical experiment that it is. Mm. I, I think you're right, and it's good to. It, it was it was good of Leo. You're right, Dave. It was good of Leo to kind of have self awareness into, um, you know, like what can be within the English nation a wonderful ability to hate opposition perhaps more than love your team itself. Uh, yeah, like one thing I'd have to say from an Australian point of view is that like if Steve Smith was on the other side, I think we'd really struggle. We'd really struggle the way he goes about it, Doctor as they Oath. say. Yeah, um, we're very, very quick to say, "No, no, you need to appreciate his unorthodoxy, etc." There's no way that shit would fly in Australia. It'd be like, nah, bump, nah, bump him, nah, get, nah. It don't, like I don't agree. It's not going to be right. I mean, look at the way, and this is only on a small scale, but look at the way people have absolutely destroyed, like wanted to destroy it the way George Bailey bats. It's just like it's actually offensive to people, and they refuse to get over it. Blokes average fifty for the last couple of years at Shield levels, like nah. Don't accept it. People wouldn't accept Smith here now if he turned up in another country doing this stuff. Mm. So I, I pre- it's, it's good of Leah to come full circle. Mm. All right. Well, that's that. We'll be back in a couple of <laughs> a couple of days' time to review the entire summer on both sides of England and Australia. We'll see you next time on the Great Cricketer Podcast. <laughs>